so nice to see everyone this morning. I, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, as I said, I'm Justin. I serve as one of the members of our preaching team here at Mount Hope, and it is such a joy to see you all this morning. Uh, my wife and I, my, my, our two children, we usually spend Sundays over at our Belmont campus, and it's always great to be out here back in Burlington to see everyone. <clears throat> When, we, when I got here this morning, I thought to myself, how am I going to introduce myself to a church that I've been attending for the past 10 years? And I thought about a lot of different ways to do it, and it's kind of tough to introduce yourself in any situation. Answering the question, who are you, is a very tricky thing at times. Figuring out what is it that we can describe ourselves with or where does our identity lie can be so difficult. Think about job interviews. You walk in and that first question, as soon as you sit down, Tell me a little bit about yourself. And it can often be one of the toughest questions to answer. Think about a first date. I remember sitting across from my wife the first time and meeting her and she asking me, tell me about yourself and me sitting there saying, my name is Justin, I'm going to be your future husband. I didn't say that, no, I didn't really say that, but that would have been really creepy if I did. I didn't say any of that, but can you imagine answering tough questions like, tell me about yourself or who are you? Our identity is one of the toughest things to reveal to other people. Sometimes it's easier to think things or define other people. Sometimes it's easier to label other people more easy than it is to, to define ourselves. I remember 10 years ago when my wife and I used to sit in the back. We didn't have children at the time. We used to sit in the back section right over there. And I don't know if you still do this in the church, but whenever a child was misbehaving in the nursery or in the, in the school area, you'd put their number up on the screen here. And the number was supposed to tell the parent, go and get your misbehaving child. And we used to sit in the back, and I used to remember waiting to see which parent would get up and make that walk of shame to the back to go pick up their child. And you'd sit there and wonder, what did the child do? And you'd have these labels and these thoughts in your head as you tried to define them. When, even when it comes to children today, we see that we're always trying to define them or they're trying to define themselves. We have two little boys. Our six-year-old son, if you ask him today, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a question where he's trying to define himself. And he'll say, I want to be an inventor. I want to be a scientist. Something that would make any parent proud. And then we ask our four-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he'll always answer, I want to be a ninja. And that's always the answer. I want to be a ninja. He'll ask me, are there schools that will teach me how to be a ninja? Are there ways to learn how to be a ninja? And now when we go to church together, it's our number that's usually getting pulled up on the screen as some teachers telling us, sir, ma'am, your son is being a ninja again in class. But all through life, we're trying to define ourselves. We're trying to figure out who we are, what we're supposed to become, what is this end goal in mind that we have. So the question we have before ourselves today is a simple one. Who are you? Who are you? We're going to turn to a passage in Scripture where a very famous person in all of Scripture was asked this question. Who are you? And his answer might surprise you, might startle you, because his answer sometimes lacks the information that we typically give for a question like that. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you don't, that's perfectly fine. The verses will be up on the screen behind me. We're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. We're going to look at the response that a gentleman named John the Baptist gave to the question, who are you? John chapter 1, verses 19 and following. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. 
Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to the, take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. You may have heard the name John the Baptist before. You may have wondered who he was, or you may have heard a lot about him in the past. Now, John the Baptist is a describer of what he did. He baptized people in the River Jordan. It has nothing to do with his denomination. It's not like he was John the Lutheran or John the Pentecostal. He was John the Baptist. It was what he did. It was a way people tried to define him. But John the Baptist, his story goes so much deeper than that. It's so much bigger than just him baptizing people. If you don't know, John was Jesus' cousin, John wandered through the wilderness for many years, wearing camel's hair and wearing a leather belt and eating wild locusts and honey while he was out in the wilderness. John was an outsider in the world that he was living in. And one day, as God appoints for him, he shows up on the scene and he starts calling the entire nation to repentance. He calls everyone to come to God because the Messiah is now here. The Messiah is among us. He starts this ministry that he was called to do, this mission that he was called for, which was to prepare the way for the Lord, to open up the way so that everyone can meet Jesus, to connect people to the Lord, to connect people to Messiah. This was John's ministry, his calling. John was a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was the one that was going to open the way for people to meet Jesus. What I love about John the Baptist, though, is that John was able to answer two very important questions that some of us struggle to answer every day, but two important questions that can help us every single day of our lives if we can learn to answer them. The first question is the one that the Pharisees point to, pointed to John about him. They asked him, who are you? Who are you? That's such a loaded question. What is it that defines us? What is it that describes us? Who are we? For many of us, as you sit here and you try to answer that question right now, you immediately go to maybe your occupation. I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. I'm an acrobatic archer. Is that what it's called? I'm one of those things. I am something. I'm a teacher. I am a, I'm a police officer. You might find different things that you use as part of your occupation to define who you are. For others in this room right now, you've gone to some other part of your life. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a daughter, I'm a son. Maybe you're saying that I'm a caretaker. 
I'm someone who's loving. I'm someone who's kind, who's forgiving. I'm someone who's easily angry. You are going through all of those descriptors, those describing characteristics to figure out who you are. There's a day when John was asked this question, who are you? And it's so interesting to see where John goes with his answer. Notice the words he uses to describe himself. John uses a couple of negatives to describe himself. They say, are you the chosen one? Are you the Messiah? And he says, I am not the Messiah. Then they say, are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Then they say, are you the prophet? And John says, no. First of all, it can be a little annoying when you're asking someone a question and they don't give you a direct answer. But it's powerful to think John was giving them a direct answer. He was pointing out to them that it does not matter who I am or who you think I am. It matters far more who is coming after me. The one who is going to follow me is far, far more important than anything I could use to describe myself. He says, no, no, I am not. I am not the Messiah. There is no way you're going to understand who I am because it doesn't matter who I am. It does not matter who, what my name is. In fact, if you look at John's descriptor of himself, he never once even mentions his name. He doesn't even say, I'm John, I'm not the Messiah. He just says, I'm not the Messiah. I am not. I am nobody. He keeps using these negatives. And then finally, when they press him, he quotes a verse from the book of Isaiah and says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And that's all he uses to describe himself. John answers the question, who are you, by taking attention away from him because John understood something that a lot of us struggle with every single day. That who we are is nowhere near as important as why we are. Let me say that one more time. Who we are is not as important as why we are. Our purpose, our mission is so much more important than who we think we are. John's mission was clear. I'm going to come to this earth to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, to prepare the way for people to meet Christ. I'm going to be the, be the bridge that connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm the bridge that will direct and point people to this Savior, to this Messiah, to this Lord who is there to save them. John was absolutely obsessed with his mission, his purpose, far more than he was about who he was as his describing identity as who he might be. He was convinced that it was more important to fulfill his mission. Why he was was more important than who he was. When you walk into a restaurant, you will go and enjoy this amazing meal and you'll go out saying, wow, that, that chef did an amazing job. But sometimes we forget, who's the person that led you to that table to enjoy that meal? Without that hostess, you're not likely to enjoy that meal to begin with because someone had to direct you to your table before you could ever enjoy that meal. The hostess pointed you in the right direction. And for John, that was his mission. I am here to point people to Jesus. I am here to let people meet someone who's far more valuable, far more important than I could ever be. John was content with the knowledge that he was an arrow. He was a signpost that pointed people to Jesus. He came to the conclusion that who I am is not as important as why I am. I am here for a purpose to point people to Jesus. So John answers this incredibly difficult question, who are you? But then he answers another question that's far more important that I hope all of us can answer by the time we leave today. 
And that question was, who is Jesus? If your mission is to point people to Jesus, then the obvious next question is, who is Jesus? And it's important to understand all the things that John says about himself in comparison to what he says about Jesus. All of those no's and I am nots and I am not the Messiah's is followed by, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that I am revealing to you the Son of God. Truly, he is the chosen one. I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. That's how little I am, but that's how amazing he is. John recognized who Jesus was. He didn't look at the world through, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a singer, I'm an architect. He didn't look at it that way. He looked at it as, I am here with a mission. The mission is more important than who I say that I am. The mission was Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. There's an, incre- there's an important thing that John says in chapter 3 of this book. John the Baptist is the one that says one of the most famous lines in all of the Gospels where John says, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. John understood his role. He understood the relationship he had with Jesus. And in the role, all he needed to do was point people to Jesus to get them to meet this Savior. Here's the problem that so many of us struggle with on a day-to-day basis, the struggling with identity, who we are and why we're here. If you look around the world that we're living in today, this is a constant struggle. Who am I and why am I here? The world we live in is often obsessed with our 15 minutes of fame, that if I can just get my 15 minutes of fame, if I can do something that draws a bunch of followers on social media or can get a bunch of people to talk about me or if I can accumulate a bunch of wealth or if I can get a bunch of friends or if I can succeed at my job and climb the ladder there, then I will have made it is the idea that we often perpetrate or, 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 or keep continuing in the world around us. If you watch the news this past week, uh, a young woman was arrested in Australia. You may have heard this story. She was arrested in Australia for trying to smuggle in 209 pounds of cocaine on a cruise ship. Pretty incredible story. Now, that part is really incredible. But how she was doing it was pretty impressive, too. She was being paid to take cruises around the world. And she would get on the ship in one country, smuggling in hundreds of pounds of drugs, and then take them to another country, unload them there, take a new shipment, and get on a cruise again, and go to another part of the world, smuggling drugs all over the world. When she was finally caught in Australia, and this part is sad and fascinating at the same time, The police asked her, why did you do this? A 22-year-old about to throw away your life, why did you do this? And her response was this. I love posting photos on Instagram while taking cruises. And the only way to post those photos is to have someone pay for my cruises. The only way I could find to pay for those cruises was to smuggle drugs for someone. It's pretty sad. Her entire identity was this person she had created on social media as this world traveler. And the only way to keep the identity going was to do something where she'd have to throw away her life for years and years to come. But that's the way we obsess over identity. We obsess over people appreciating us and loving us and following us and liking our photos. We are all about getting that kind of admiration for ourselves because our identities are so cooked into what other people think about us. Think about it. We have teenagers swallowing Tide Pods for attention. 
We have, we, have, we have young people eating spoonfuls of cinnamon so that we can get attention on social media. All of it is driven to this idea that if people will notice me, then I'm somebody then. And here is John in the middle of all of this, even for our civilization and society today, saying, no, no, I am not, I am not, I am not, because someone more important is coming right behind me. Someone more important is who I'm pointing to. Our identity is often baked into what other people think of us. But John says, my identity has nothing to do with what you think of me or what I think of me. My identity is about to cross that Jordan and come with me in just a second. His identity was in someone else. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? The problem that we have, especially if you've been in the church world or if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, there's a problem that we often have. Jesus did something so amazing for us. He gave us value. He gave us worth. And as a result, he is so all-encompassing when it comes to our value. And that's an amazing thing. When I think about value, I think about another piece of news from this past week. If you noticed, uh, there was a baseball card, a Mickey Mantle baseball card from 1952. This card right here. It sold this week for $2.88 million this week. Follow me on this. $2.88 million for a piece of paper with a picture that looks like a drawing on it that was sold for almost $3 million. Where's the value there? If you think about it, and if you follow the history of this specific card, in 1952, the company that manufactured this card, they created thousands of copies of this card, but they could not sell a single one. They had so much trouble selling it to the point where the owners started traveling to carnivals all over the country and trying to unload them. At one point, he was selling 30 of them for one penny, 30 of them for one cent, and no one was buying. Eventually, he went out of business, so he decided to take the 300 cases of cards and dump them into an ocean somewhere because he had no use for them anymore. But what happened is because he dumped 300 cases of it into the ocean, one day this card became so valuable because it was rare. Someone had to assign value to that card, and because someone assigned value to it, gave it worth, it is now worth almost $3 million. See, here's what happens in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus gave so many of us, if not all of us sitting in this room, worth because we recognized him as our savior. Because he died for us and shed his blood for us, he gave us worth and value. And as a result, we love Jesus for that reason. But here's the mistake we then make. We start to assume that that's Jesus' job, was to give me value and to keep giving me value and keep giving me worth and keep giving me convenience and keep giving me comfort and keep giving me answers to prayers and build my kingdom, build my brand, make me better. We fall into this false assumption that because Jesus gave me value, his role is to always keep giving me value. But John understood something about Jesus. That Jesus is not just here to give me value. I am here to give him value, to give him fame, to give him glory, to give him, to give him praise and worship, to lead people to him. John recognized that Jesus is greater than me. And for each of us sitting here today, Jesus is greater than me. That identity of knowing that he is greater means I will spend my day and my night trying to figure out how can I bring him glory? How can I make him famous? How can I make him known to the world around around me? How can I build him up? How can I know him better? All of those things will cover us as we think about Jesus. Your identity and my identity is not only in who we are, it's in why we are. Why are you here? 
And John recognized that I am here because there's one that's better than me coming. There's one that's greater than me coming and I need to lead people to him. John was able to answer who are you and he was able to answer who is Jesus. And now my question to all of us sitting here, now what? What do we do about this knowledge? What do we do with the knowledge that we now have that we, who we are is not as important as why we are and that Jesus is the reason that we do everything we do? What do we do with that knowledge? There was a time when I had to make a decision to use my knowledge or use what I just learned and figure out why I'd learned it. It was almost 20 years ago, I was working as an intern for New England Sports Network, Nesson, the channel that many of you watch the Red Sox on, and I was working as an intern there in Fenway Park. If you know Fenway Park, you know it is a very, very old place. I was working in an old office at an old desk in a very, very old building. And one day, I was sitting at my desk, and I have a habit that I'm not proud of where I put a lot of snacks in my top drawer. I don't know if you do this too. I had a bunch of snacks in my top drawer, and I would daily just do my work on my screen and reach into the the drawer and grab a snack and have it and then close up the drawer. One day, I reached into the drawer, and I, I reached around, and it was definitely not candy that I was touching. And I looked down, and there was a giant rat sitting in my desk drawer, a large Fenway Park rat sitting right there in my drawer. It was not a mouse, I promise you, it was not a mouse, it was a rat. And so the, I remember immediately slamming the door shut and thinking, now I know that there's a mouse in my desk, what do I do with this knowledge that I now have? What do I do with the fact that a mouse is in that drawer? I immediately called facility because I was not going to touch that. And they, they took care of the rat, they got rid of it. But there was this moment where I had knowledge of what was in my desk at that time and I had to do something with the knowledge that I had. Each of us have this knowledge that who we are is not as important as why we are. Each of us have this knowledge that Jesus is the source of everything, every good thing, every blessing, every peace, every joy, every forgiveness and salvation that we could ever enjoy, that Jesus is the source of that. Now my question to you, what are you going to do with that knowledge that you have? The knowledge that Jesus' mission is more important than who I am. If you think about a football team, a lot of times it's the running back that gets the praise and the adulation because he's the one that takes the football and scores over the goal line. Somewhere in the middle of that strategy, in the middle of that play is a fullback, a guy who just runs right in front of the running back and clears the way for the running back to score. Now, if I were to ask a, a, a diehard football fan, can you name a running back in the NFL? You could probably name all 32 starting running backs in the NFL. But if I were to ask you, can you name a fullback in the NFL? Maybe the best fans here can name two, three of them. Why is it that we don't know the fullback, but the fullback plays such an incredible role in clearing the way for that running back to score? My friends, this is what we do with what we know. You and I are placed on this world, in this world, to be the arrow that points to Jesus, to be the signpost that points to Jesus, to be the signpost or the arrow in someone's life. Now, you look at this equation, there is the world and here is Jesus. Where are you and I? You and I are that arrow and that's all we are. And you and I can come to the realization, the the absolute peace and joy that comes with knowing all I need to do in this life, my entire identity fits inside that arrow. That's it. My entire identity fits inside that arrow. All I need to identify myself as is a signpost, an arrow that points to Jesus. 
This morning, you may define yourself as a lawyer, as an, as, a, as an accountant, as a teacher, as a mother, a daughter, a wife, an uncle, an aunt, no matter how you define yourself this morning. I ask you to twist it around a little bit and realize that you are not just defined by what you do, you're defined by who you do it for is what you're defined by. That Jesus has called each of you and put you in a place to direct the world to him. To point the world to him. That you are an accountant who has an intimate access to your office to point people to Jesus. That you are a salesperson or a business owner with access to clients and customers that only you have access to to point them to Jesus. That you are a teacher with access to students and parents and staff that can point them to Jesus. Each of us are an arrow that points points the world to Jesus. We're a signpost. We're a bridge that connects the world from point A to point Jesus. If you look at it this way, if you start to see your identity not in light of who I am, but why I am, it suddenly changes everything about us. Now I don't need to go climb the corporate ladder just for the sake of climbing that ladder. I don't need to go accumulate a bunch of wealth for the sake of wealth. I do it all because I can point the world to Jesus and that's all that I care about. That's all that I'm consumed with. Each of us have access to people that maybe no other person has access to. Are you an arrow? Are you a signpost? Are you a bridge for those people? Are you helping them find Jesus? Some of you may be sitting here this morning thinking, this is, sounds easy, but it's not really that easy. You have no idea who I work with. You have no idea who my children are. You have no idea how tough it can be in the world and the environment that I'm in. I assure you, Christ is calling you to be an arrow. It's not your responsibility to get everyone into heaven. Your responsibility is to point them to the one who can get them to heaven. Just be an arrow. How simple is this to be an arrow? Let me give you an example. Back in London in the 1800s, there was a shoemaker, a gentleman who was waking up one Sunday morning ready to go to church, and as he was getting up, he looked out his window, and the streets are covered in snow. There is no way anyone is getting anywhere with the conditions that were out there. But the gentleman thought to himself, look, I serve in the church. I really should go. I should be there this Sunday morning. So he got up, put on his warmest clothes, and trudged the two miles all the way to the church. And when he got there, only 10 other people decided to show up that Sunday morning. In fact, the pastor couldn't come. The weather was too bad for anyone else to come that morning. So this gentleman, being the oldest one there, decided, look, let's just have a church service anyway. And so as the church service is progressing, he realizes there's no one else to preach. He's a shoemaker. He is not qualified. He's not trained to preach anything. And so he realizes because I'm the oldest, I probably should go up there and say something. He walks up on stage and he delivers everything he knew about the gospel. Ten minutes was everything he knew about the gospel. For ten minutes he preached to that congregation and at the end, he looked out and he realized no one probably was changed or affected by what he had just said. But he saw a teenager sitting in the room, a young man. And he looked at the young man who was kind of downcast and sad and sitting in the back of the room. And he just spoke directly to the young man. He said, young man, don't be sad. Look to Jesus. Three words. Look to Jesus. That teenager went home and decided, I'm going to make this a practice in my life. I'm really upset and sad right now. I'm going through some difficulty in my life, but I'm going to just start look, looking to Jesus. Three words. He made that the theme of his life. That young man heard three words and would go on to become Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, authors, 
and theologians of history. Charles Spurgeon would lead thousands of people to Jesus Christ because a shoemaker showed up to church and told him to look to Jesus. What can you and I do? What can we do? Is there someone that we can reach, maybe a coworker or a colleague or a friend or a, or a family member that we can reach and just say, look to Jesus? Maybe we can give them a few dollars to help pay a bill. Maybe we can put an arm around them and walk through some of life's situations with them. But how are we being the arrow every single day that points the world to Jesus? Because that's why we're here. You and I are not here to just do those jobs, those vocations that we are here for. You and I are here to be an arrow that points to Jesus. You and I have an opportunity every single day to lead people to Christ. John Piper, one of the best-known preachers and teachers in the world today, says it this way, if you are God, your work is to create out of nothing. If you are not God, your work is to take what God has made and shape it and use it to make him look great. I know we want our 15 minutes of fame. I know we want to be famous, but let me ask you this morning, what are you doing to make God famous? What are you doing to make him known in the world around you, in the, in the society, in the office, in the workplace that you're in, in the, in the community that you're in, in the family that you're in? What are you doing to make him great? Because the greatest peace that we have is in knowing that Jesus Christ is in control, that he has it taken care of. All we need to do is point to him, point people directly to him. Because I'll tell you this, nothing in life matters more than this, to point people to Jesus. In the 1980s, uh, you may have heard the news of a pastor in the Middle East who went to prison for being a Christian. He was leading a worship service in his home secretly, away from anyone knowing or hearing, when police came knocking on his door and they took him away to prison because he was preaching the gospel in a nation where you're not allowed to preach anything. That gentleman went to prison for several weeks. Uh, I should also tell you that gentleman was my uncle. My mom's brother was that gentleman who went to prison. He was interrogated heavily, he was tortured, he was imprisoned for several weeks uh, in very, very tough, difficult conditions. And I love my uncle's story. God really helped him get out of prison. My dad, uh, uh, God helped him come to the United States and pastor many churches. In fact, in the first service, there was a gentleman who was in one of his, his churches that he later pastored and got to meet him for the first time in the first service. My uncle did amazing things, but here's the best part, of my favorite part of this story. My grandfather, my uncle's father, wrote him a letter during the time he was in prison. In the letter, he simply says like this, Dear son, I rejoice in your current condition. That's pretty amazing for a father to say. You are in prison being tortured. You are in prison being held against your will for nothing that you did except preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But son, I rejoice in your current condition. Because of you, God will become famous. Because of you, people will hear the gospel. Because you are locked up right now, people who may have never heard about Jesus will hear about Jesus. My grandfather saw that generations ago. He saw that. And for me, that's the best part of that story. The best part is that God is glorified in every situation. So I ask you today, where do you find yourself? Maybe you're finding yourself in anxiety and worry this morning, or maybe you find yourself in financial hardship or difficulty with your family members, but in everything, can you point to Jesus? Can you use every situation to point people to Jesus? Because that's why we're here. John walked on this earth for a short time. If you go into the further chapters about John, you'll find out quickly, he doesn't last much longer. He's beheaded because of the mess 
message and the witness that he has against the king of that time. He is beheaded and loses his life because of what he stood for. The mission was everything to John. It was more important than who he was. That's why he never says, I'm John. Because that wasn't important. It was far more important who Jesus was. And who Jesus was was the leading guide for everything that John ever did. So I ask you this morning, I ask you, who are you? Who is Jesus? And what are you going to do about that this morning? As you go from here and as you think about your week, what you're going to encounter and what you're going to deal with, are there places where you can be an arrow that points to Jesus? Can you be the signpost that points to Jesus? Can you be the bridge that leads someone from point A to point Jesus? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning as I invite our worship team to come back up as we close. Every situation, every circumstance, every place you find yourself today is an opportunity to point to Jesus, to lead people into a relationship with a living, loving God who desires relationship with them. As we close out our worship time today and as we think about what is it that God wants to say to me at this time, I hope that you're thinking about people in your life right now people that could use this kind of a relationship with a savior, people that I may be the only signpost to. Because if you need a summary for everything we said today, here it is, and it's a simple one. I am nobody trying to tell somebody, trying to tell everybody about somebody. I am nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Who is it in your life that needs to hear? Who is it in your life that needs to see? Who is it in your life that you need to point in the right direction this this afternoon? As you think about those names, as you think about those faces today, as you think about your own life, and you may have come here this day and you're thinking, well, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't know him well enough. Today, let this day be the day that you start your relationship with him as well. I'm going to invite our elders, our leaders, if they can come forward to help with prayer as well. And as our worship team leads us in worship today, remember that who you are is not important as why you are. You and I are here to be an arrow, to be a bridge. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you because of what you did, we have infinite value. Because of who you are, We have value and worth. But God, forgive us for in many instances and situations we forget that and we try to build our brand at the expense of what you have actually called us to. God, remind us of the mission this morning that you and I and everyone sitting here are arrows that point to you and what you did for us, Lord. God, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts to be arrows this week to be signposts, to be bridges this week that build relationships and connect people to you. I pray that you'd work in our hearts and help us to see you, to hear you, and then go and deliver that to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.